Yeah, we, uh, my wife Jess and I, we were on staff here for seven years. Got to oversee missions and outreach and benevolence, and it was awesome. It was so great. We worked with so many awesome volunteers and ministry leaders, and you know, many of you were involved in those ministries. Many of you gave to those ministries your time, your money, your effort. It's just been, it was awesome to be a part of, and uh, I feel a little bit like Paul sometimes when I hear about reports of, of what's going on here, and I'm so proud to hear that these ministries are thriving and doing well, and I'm uh, just happy to have been a part of them. I'm excited to be back here uh, and sharing with you guys. We, we left here uh, about, I don't know, seven months ago, back in the summer, and we felt like God was calling us to, to do something different in the kingdom. And we weren't sure what it was at first, and we prayed about it, and we talked to people, and we felt that God was calling us to be part of a church plant. And where we ended up was Lehigh Valley, which is about an hour and 45 minutes north in New Jersey. Hang a left, and you end up in Lehigh Valley. Okay, it's not near Lancaster. People keep saying this to me. Oh, you're near the Amish. No, we're not. No, no closer than you are from here. But it's, it's made up of Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. Okay, these th kind of three major cities and then uh, little towns around them. It's over a million people there in the area. And we went up there because we want to be an outpost for the gospel. We want to see the gospel of Jesus proclaimed in this area, and we know that uh, there's some, some good churches up there, and there's a lot of churches that aren't proclaiming the gospel. Let's just be honest about what's happening. And they're proclaiming religion, and that's not the gospel. And, and we really want to be up there and share the freedom of Christ in the gospel that we've been singing about this morning. So we went up there, and we joined um, up with a church called Hope Alliance. It's a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, which is uh, you know, the same family of churches that this one is a part of. It's pastored by Adam Eshbaugh and his wife, Rachel. Uh, Rachel is actually, her maiden name is Rachel Kantner. Uh, if you know Glenn Kantner, it's his daughter. So we've been lifelong friends with them, and we have this real camaraderie with them, and we felt like, you know what, they're doing something that God is calling us to. So we went up there, and uh, one of the things we love about this church is that it is the, the motto or the vision statement, whatever you want to call it, simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. And we try to proclaim him in everything that we do and the freedom in the gospel in everything that we do. And, and uh, the goal there is to plant a network of churches. And if you want to get real specific, a network of small to medium churches that are based in their community. And so the goal over the next year and a half is to, if you can pray with us for this, is to double the church and, and to double in size. And, and this year we just kicked off a one-for-one -one initiative, basically saying, if you're coming here and you're coming to church by yourself, go get somebody else. Bring one more person. If you're a family of five, go get five more people and bring them. And really trying to uh, challenge the congregation to want to see people brought into the kingdom. And we believe you know, fully, that we are proclaiming the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus at Hope. So we're challenging people to bring them to church, and then our goal is to, out of that, for Jess and I to plant a church. And the goal with these small to medium churches, this network, is that there could end up being five churches in Bethlehem alone. There could be a church north of Bethlehem where we are in Nazareth. We're not sure yet, but we know that we want to grow the church uh, and add people to it, and then take some of those people, form a core team, and go and plant a church. Now, it, it looks a little different there, okay, than here. We meet in a school, and it is a hideous school, okay? It is ugly. All right, don't tell them I said that. I hope they're not watching the live stream. Like, it's, it's not pretty. But what we do every week is uh, we have this trailer that stores everything, the whole church. It's in that box right there. All right, the sound equipment, the kids' ministry stuff, we got pipe and drape, all this stuff. If you look inside, yeah, there it is right there. The, the AV guys love that the sound equipment's just laying on the ground. So we pack this thing up, and we, and we bring it over to the school, and we make the school into a sacred place where people come and they encounter Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the gospel is proclaimed. Now, 
I know, you know, there's a new building. Everybody's a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure if I like this seat. I don't like how it feels. The air conditioning, the heat. Listen, last week we had a guy with a lighter underneath the lock on the trailer trying to thaw it out. So I don't want to hear any complaining, all right, about this awesome building. All right, or you can just come up and join us if you want, and you can deal with the lock, you know, whatever you want to do. But we love this place, and we're having a great time there and ministering to people. We've got community group meeting in our home, and, you know, the church is growing. We've had guests there, uh, you know, week after week and trying to get them plugged in, but it's been a lot of fun. But I, I want to thank you. So many of you have, have given to us financially. If you give to the missions fund here at the church, some of that, uh, those finances have come towards us and sort of this nest egg we're forming for the church plant. People have visited, people have called, people have sent cards. You know, we, it's interesting, you know, just when we would feel down or, or, you know, feeling sad about something, a card would show up in the mail. You know, an encouraging email would come. And we really have felt bolstered by God through you. And I really mean that. I've heard missionaries say that before, and I've heard people say that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I have experienced it. It's real. And I, I thank you for your care. We've had so many people come and visit that our neighbor, who is also new to the neighborhood, she's like, what, what are you guys doing that you have so many friends already? Who are these people constantly in your driveway and staying in your house? Well, I'm like, oh, it's our old church friends, you know, and they're coming up to see us. You know, it hasn't been easy. I'd be lying if I said, oh, this was just a breeze. This has just been great. There have been days where we're like, what have we done? We, we left all the relationship stability that we knew. We have no shared history with people there. You know, this is our church home. This is our home. I mean, I, I lived in Medford my whole life, so it was, it, was, it was hard for us to do this, but God has sustained us. And we do it, and we know that it's worth it because the kingdom is worth it. Because the expansion of the kingdom at all costs is worth it. So thank you for supporting us in it. Thank you for lifting us up in it. Thank you for giving to us. Uh, Jess and I will be down front afterwards. If you want to come and say hi, we would love that. Um, you know, last, Nick said it was like a wedding down here. There's like a reception line afterwards. It was great to see everybody. Please come down and say hi. Um, we would love to talk with you. What I want to do today is share with you a little bit what God's put on my heart. And, and I thought, okay, the staff is away. The elders are away. What can I say? What can I get away with? And I really feel like God said, look, this body of believers, this church family here that I have been a part of has been on this climb over the last 15 years since the dream of this place was started. I was on one of the original KV teams when we came up with the logo and the design. Like, I've been a part of it. I know the energy and, and some of the mayhem that it took to get here to this place. And I felt like what God said was, you know what, while the staff is away, resting. Let today be about rest for you. For all the energy that you've put into this, the finances you've put into this, the prayers you've put into this, I want today to be rest. I want it to be a place for Sabbath. My hope is that in proclaiming who Jesus is and who we are in him, you can find rest. So would you pray with me? And I'm going to settle my heart and, and ask that our hearts would be settled as well. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can be here. We're here in this place, and it's a sacred place. Otherwise, it's just a building. But because you're here and we're here, it's sacred ground. Thank you for setting it apart. Thank you for setting us apart. And now we set apart this time to look into your word and look into who you are, and I pray that your spirit would move. And I pray ultimately that people would find Sabbath rest.
now and for the rest of their lives. I pray for people here who don't even know if they believe in you, that, that today they would see you in a new way and their eyes would be opened and they would love you and follow you. Jesus, we give you this time and ask that you'd be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm going to be looking today, uh, well, I'm not going to be looking. You can look if you want, uh, in, in Mark chapter 4 and 5. And I'm not going to be reading it. I'm just going to be kind of sharing what's going on there. So Jesus is traveling around, and his disciples and followers are out in front of him, and he's speaking to them. And he starts talking to them about what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Now, if you've studied Jewish history, you know that at this point, Israel is still returning from exile. They've been carted off years before to Assyria, to Babylon, and they're coming back into the promised land that God had given them. And they're gathering there, and they're looking into the prophetic word from years before. And they're looking for hope. And what they know is that a Messiah is going to come. And that somebody's going to come, and they're going to restore Israel to its past glory to where the temple is the central place of worship for them and for others, either by subjugation or by willingly coming. They were going to come and and give praises to God in Jerusalem. And the temple would be cleansed and worship would be reinstated. Crops would grow. Money would come in. No more Roman occupation. And, and, And they would live as sons and daughters of God and God would be with them. But they knew that it was going to come through the hands of a Messiah. And it wasn't a Messiah like we think of now because we know who Jesus is. It wasn't a Messiah that they were looking for eternal life with. It was not just some spiritual world they were looking towards. It was an earthly kingdom they were looking for. They wanted God there and an earthly kingdom for them to live and prosper in. And they probably expected that Rome would be overthrown, that there'd be maybe some kind of military coup, that there would be political influence, there'd be religious influence. And along comes Jesus. And he's challenging the status quo. And he's challenging the religious leaders of the day. And he's doing miracles, and these insane things are happening, and people are thinking, he's the one. He's the Messiah who's going to restore Israel. And they're expecting this great big thing. And then in Mark 4, Jesus starts talking to them about what the kingdom's going to look like. And you know what he says? It's going to be a mustard seed. It's going to look like a mustard seed. The smallest seed on the earth that will become the greatest tree in the garden. It's going to be a tree that puts out branches that the birds come and make their nests in, and they find peace and rest in it. Can you imagine their frustration, their disappointment? What do you mean a mustard seed? We want a military takeover. We want to throw Rome out of here, and you're going to come like a mustard seed? This little tiny thing, Jesus was constantly challenging them to think differently about the kingdom. The other thing to note here is when he says that the birds are going to come there and make, make their nest in it, this is really an allusion to past prophecies that said birds were going to come and make their nests in the cedars and the oaks. So again, they expect this grand size and, and uh, scope to the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, it's going to be this 8 to 10 foot tall shrub. And the birds are going to come and make their nests in it. And it's going to be a blessing to other nations, going all the way back to the covenant with Abraham, saying you're going to be a blessing to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. It's not just for you. He's challenging them. You see, Jesus was the breaking in of the kingdom of God into humanity. The bringing of the kingdom of God into humanity, and the church is the breaking out of that kingdom. 
Jesus brings the kingdom, he instates, he, you know, it, uh, puts it and inaugurates it then, and then we carry it out as Christ followers. So what are we supposed to look like? Who are we supposed to be in light of that? Pastor Marty, I tried to dovetail with a little bit of what he was talking about last week, that, that we are to be people characterized by our faith, by our love, and by our hope. So if you look on in this story, you see that Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's preaching to them, and he, he's in a boat, and he says, let's go across the lake. We're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, that meant going east, okay? Israel doesn't want to go east. They go west. They cross the Jordan River. This is where they want to stay, in the Promised Land. They came from there. They don't want to go there. So, Jesus says, let's go east. He's already saying again, this is not just for you. We're going to bring this kingdom out from just the promised land of Israel. So they get in a boat, and they go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is huge. It's like six miles by 13 miles. It's really big. It's like 200 feet deep in spots, and it's about 600 feet below sea level. Now, I've lived overseas below sea level and basically are at sea level. So what happens is all these winds form in the upper elevations and they rush down out of the mountains over the water. And it brings sandstorms, it brings great thunderstorms, and that's what happens. So these, these disciples are in this boat with Jesus. Now, can you picture this? I mean, some of these are hardened fishermen like Peter, James, and John. And then there's Matthew, the like white-collar tax collector, who probably has no idea what to do in a boat, is probably fearful for his life that this is even happening. But they, they get in this boat, they start crossing the Sea of Galilee, and this storm comes up, and it's swamping the boat. Water is just pouring over the boat, and they're fearful for their lives. I would be, you would be. The storm is wrecking the boat, and they're, and they're struggling. I don't know if they had oars or sails or both, and they're doing everything they can to keep this, this boat afloat and try to avoid the impending doom beneath them. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep on a leather cushion in the back. So one of the disciples, my guess is probably Peter, one of them at least, says, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you see this? Don't you see what we're doing? Folks, a brief aside here. To me, this has religion written all over it. Don't you see how hard we're working? Don't you see the striving that we're doing? We're doing it for you, God. You told us to do this. Why are you not doing what we want in return? Reward us for this. It's religion. You know what the gospel is? The gospel says, come to me and ask. Come, submit, and ask for my authority to be played out. Jesus, full of grace, he wakes up, and it says that he rebukes the storm. Now, the only other time that this word rebuke is used is earlier in Mark when Jesus rebukes a demon-possessed man. This demon-possessed guy comes into a synagogue and is threatening Jesus, and Jesus basically, they use this word rebuke, it means, it says, shut up is really how it translates. He tells the demon to shut up. Now he tells the storm to shut up. Shut it. He says, peace, be still. And the sea goes flat calm, and the winds cease. Can you imagine if you're down the shore someday, and you're out on a boat, and it's being tossed, and there's white caps, and it's, you know, even just on a mildly windy day. And then it just went flat calm like that. 
I think we lose the magnitude of this sometimes, that Jesus in his authority stands up and just rebukes the wind and the waves. Then he turns to the disciples and he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Do you still not believe? I think what he was saying to them was, do you not believe in my mission? Do you not believe that there's still work to be done? Do you not believe that I am God? Do you not believe that I have authority? Now, here's an interesting question. If Jesus has the authority to stop the storm, couldn't have he have prevented it from coming in the first place? Think about that. He could have, right? But he allows the storm to come. Why? It reminds me of a story in John where Jesus comes to this blind man, and the disciples say, who sinned, Lord, this man or his parents, that this happened to him? And Jesus says, no one. This happened so that the glory of God could be revealed in his life, so that God's power could be displayed. And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus is displaying his power to the disciples to say, do you see it now that I am God, that I have authority over this storm? I have authority over the physical world. And he goes on to show his authority over the spiritual world. Next. We will have storms in our lives. You know, a lot of people come to faith in Christ and they think, well, if I, if I follow Jesus, these good things will happen. That's religion. That's magic. If you follow Jesus, there will still be storms. But here's the key. Jesus has authority over the storms. Picture like a SEPTA bus in Philly, right? It's cruising down Broad Street, 40 miles an hour. If it hits you, you're in trouble, right? Plenty of power in that bus. But what happens if a police officer puts her hand up and says, stop? It stops, because why? She has authority over it. See, Jesus can allow these storms to come into our lives to display his authority. And in it, we remember that he is God. So we are to be a people who are defined by our faith in a living God who has authority over all things. Jesus demonstrates it to the disciples here, and he demonstrates it to us still. And he offers salvation to those who will simply ask and come to him in humility. So we'll be defined by our faith. So they go on. They continue to venture across the Sea of Galilee. It's calm. They get to the other side, and this crazy thing happens. This man comes down the hill to them and greets them at the, at the shoreline. And the text says it's this demon-possessed man, or he's oppressed by demons. Now, a little background on this guy. that The townspeople know him, and he's been relegated to live among the tombs where they would bury their dead. Maybe there were some empty tombs there that they, he would go and stay in to stay out of the elements, but he's among the dead. He's living among the dead. He's naked. He's been cutting himself with pottery, Think about the self-destructiveness of that, which all humanity has, especially under the force of a demon oppression. And he's been cutting himself, and the people have put shackles on him, and he's broken them. And they've chained him, and he's wrenched the chains apart. Can you imagine how scared these people are of this man? And he comes down, and he meets Jesus straight on. And the texts say that the demons... When Jesus starts talking to them, saying they need to leave this man, the demons say, Son of God, leave us alone. Don't send us to torment now. 
because they know two things. They know that he's the son of God and they know that their judgment is coming. Now, something to think about. If even a demon knows who the son of God is and they know what's coming, they have knowledge of who he is, but they don't submit to him. What does that say about our hearts sometimes? We proclaim Jesus, we'll come to church, we'll do our Bible studies, but we won't actually really bow the knee and submit to his lordship over our lives. Something to wrestle through, because that's religion. Again, coming and saying, oh yeah, I'm doing my thing, and I got the Jesus card checked off, everything's good, but I don't really live with him the rest of my life. The gospel says, come and submit. Turn your life over to him as Lord. So Jesus goes on speaking to this man, and he says, what's your name? The man says, Legion, for there are many of us. There's so many demons oppressing this guy, they call themselves Legion. I mean, this is terrifying stuff. And Jesus basically says, you need to leave. You need to get out of this man. So the demons, like if this story wasn't weird enough already, the demons say, we don't want to leave this country. We don't want to leave here. Can you send us into those pigs over there? Can we have permission to go into them? Now, I haven't studied demonology a whole lot, but my guess is that the reason they wanted to stay in that country was they had a stronghold there. Whether because they weren't the covenant people of God, whether because they were willingly turning their lives over to this, this, um, you know, this demonic power, But they wanted to stay there, and Jesus says, yeah, you can go into the pigs. So it says the demons go into these pigs, and a herd of pigs rushes down the shoreline into the water, and they all drowned. 2,000 pigs drowned. Now, I don't know if you've seen a pig driven by a pig farm, pig truck. This is a large animal, okay? This is not cute little piglet. Like, this is a large animal. Imagine crossing over the bridge into LBI someday driving, and a herd of pigs rushes by and goes into the water, and you look down, there's 2,000 dead floating animals in the water. I mean, this is gross. This is insane. So the guys who are there herding the pigs freak out. And they go running back into town. You gotta, you gotta come see this thing that happened. There's like, remember the guy the cutting himself and the chains, and he's crazy, and he's naked, and the, the, the pigs, and they're in the water, and they're dead, and the guy, and the Jesus, and then you know, nah, they're going crazy. So all the people come rushing out of the city. And they go out there, and now they, they see Jesus. They see the man sitting in his right mind and clothed, the texts say. And they see their, their livelihood, the 2,000 pigs that they've probably been selling to Rome, floating in the water. And they don't know what to think. So they process this, and they're furious with Jesus because they know that somehow he's responsible. Now, I know we want to blame them, and we want to say, oh, that's ridiculous, but, I mean, imagine if you came home from vacation one day, and your pipe had burst in your house, and your whole house was flooded and wrecked. Like, that sense of loss would be devastating. Or maybe you're looking at the stock market someday on the computer, and you're watching it just fall and fall and fall, and your savings are going away and away, and everything's disappearing. Like that, man, you would be grieved. You would be terrified. Well, that's what these people experience. But rather than come to trust and see the power of God in this, they tell Jesus to leave. So Jesus yells at them. No, he doesn't. He says, you need to worship me. Look at the miracle I did. No, he does not. You need to bow to me and give me authority. 
No, they, he doesn't say that. He gets in the boat, and he goes back across the Sea of Galilee. Church, we live in an era that says, if people aren't listening to me, I should yell louder. If I'm not getting my way, we should get the right political person in office. I need to get the right guy to fight for me. We need to have military power. We need to do all these things. We need to make the church great. If the Son of God could turn and walk away, can we? Can we shake the dust off our feet? Can we do our best to love people, to offer them the gospel? And if they don't listen, that's okay. That's not us. That's not our job. That's the Spirit's job. Now, here's something I find fascinating about this story. It says that the man says to Jesus, the man who he healed, he says, can I come with you? The texts say that he begs Jesus to come with him. Now, I'm trying to start a church soon. Like, if somebody came to me and said, can, can I be involved? I'd be like, great. I'm glad you're not naked anymore. Let's go. Like, let's do this thing. And Jesus tells him no. Jesus says, no. Stay here and tell people what God has done for you. Go give glory to God in the city and tell people the mercy that the Lord has had on you. That is fascinating. You know, our, our culture, our church culture, and I don't mean FAC, I mean the church as a whole in America and the West is so about me. I need to go deeper with the Lord. I need to sit at the feet of Jesus. I need to do all these things to study my Bible right. I need to memorize all these verses. I need to, I need to do all these things perfect before I can go and share Jesus with people. This guy had just been healed of demon possession, and Jesus is like, good enough. Go start telling people about me. That's the gospel. That God indwelt this man's life and then said, go talk about me with people. Go share with people what God has done. You don't need to be perfect to do that. So in this story, the main thing I want to drag out here is that Jesus loved this man. Think about it. This was Israel's enemy in every sense of the word. This was the other side that you don't go to. This was people who were working on behalf of Rome. Whether they were Jewish or not, they certainly weren't good Jews, if that, working with pigs. This man is living among the dead. He doesn't even know that he needs saving. And yet Jesus set, across, set out across the Sea of Galilee and goes to him because he loves him. And it's the same for you and me. We find ourselves living among the dead, among the tombs, and Jesus comes to us and loves us despite it. When we had no knowledge of him, no inkling to follow him, we didn't know we even needed it, and Jesus comes and he says, I love you, I'm for you. Come to me and find rest. And then go and share it with the world around you. We are supposed to be people defined by that love. And we are to go and love people because he first loved us. So if you hear nothing else, go and soak in that this week. The love of God for you whether you were saved at a young age and prevented from a lifestyle of debauchery, it's a miracle, or whether you were saved later in life, Jesus has claimed you for himself because he loves you. So then, Jesus gets back in the boat and the disciples go back across to Israel. 
And we know what happens, right? Jesus continues his ministry, and like all other messianic figures who'd come before him, he's put to death, where they were run out of town. He had been a good, powerful leader. He had done amazing miracles. He had loved people amazingly, sacrificially, and then was killed. What would have happened if he had stayed in the tomb? How different would things look if that had happened? If the resurrection had never occurred? I was reading uh, this sermon from Martin Luther King Jr. where he says, you know, the tomb, the tomb sat on the throne for three days, but eventually had to give way to the drumbeats of Easter. It eventually had to give way to the drumbeat. Easter's coming, right? Jesus comes up from the grave and he brings new life. He brings a resurrected human body. He's the first fruits, Paul says. And then someday we have that to look forward to as well. Now, what I love about that Martin Luther King sermon is, is that he was talking about a, a spiritual reality and he was talking about a physical reality that starts to work out when we really believe that we are going to live resurrected lives someday and the difference that it should make in our world. I've been reading this book uh, by N.T. Wright, great theologian, and uh, really challenging to me, making me think differently about things. But he writes this book called Surprised by Hope. And in this book, he's, the hope he's talking about is the resurrection and how the resurrection of a, of a human-bodied Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, defines everything else from here on out. How it is our only hope and redefines the way we think of everything, from our own lives to the cosmos, everything. Listen to what he says about this. He says, Without the resurrection, even the story of Jesus is a tragedy, certainly in first-century Jewish terms, as the two on the road to Emmaus knew very well. Do you remember the guys on Emmaus who, when Jesus meets them on the road, they're distraught because they're saying, you know, I can't, we can't believe this happened. This guy, Jesus, was so great, and he died, and he's in the tomb. Jesus knew they were talking about him, and they were, they were distraught. So they're saying it would be a tragedy if he hadn't been resurrected. But with the resurrection, there is a new way of telling the entire story. The resurrection isn't just a surprise, happy ending for one person. It is instead the turning point for everything else. It is the point at which all the old promises come true at last. The promises of David's unshakable kingdom. The promises of Israel's return from the greatest exile of them all. And behind that, again, quite explicit in the Gospels, the promise that all the nations will now be blessed through the seed of Abraham. If Jesus had not been raised, Luke is saying, all you have is hopes raised and dashed once more, like every other Messiah that had come along. The disciples would go on hoping, no doubt, because they were faithful Jews. But if Jesus is not raised, nothing has happened to show that their hopes might, after all, be fulfilled. But if Jesus has been raised, then this is how the Old Testament has to be read. Folks, please read the Old Testament looking for Jesus. He's all over it. He says, if this is what happened, read the Old Testament like this. As a story of suffering and vindication, of exile and restoration, a narrative that reaches its climax not in Israel, not in Israel becoming top nation and beating the rest of the world at its own game, but in the suffering and vindication, the exile and restoration of the Messiah. Not for himself alone, but because he is carrying the saving promises of God. If Jesus is raised, Luke is saying, he really was and is the Messiah. But if he's the Messiah, he is also God's messenger, God's promise bearer, 
carrying the promises made all the way back to Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophets. Promises not only for Israel, but also for the whole world. Can I say promises not only for us, but promises for the whole world? We have hope in a resurrected Savior. And it should define everything about our lives. Because someday, we will be resurrected. Someday, these shabby bodies will be put away for good and will be risen to glorified human bodies, the way I read Scripture. And there will be a remade earth when all of this will be renewed. And in the meantime, we work towards it. We move towards it. We take this hope that we have and we apply it to everything. Every, to our vocations, we work well to bring glory to God. We celebrate art to bring the beautification of God, to glorify Him in that way. We bring justice to people of all races and color. We bring love to those who need it. We bring financial assistance to the poor. We help reform prison systems. We go on and on. We look at what we do because we have the hope that God is restoring humanity in Jesus. We have been given another chance, a new life. We are a new creation. Why? Because Jesus is the mustard seed. Because he was buried in the ground. Small, subtle, improbable, yet established, undeniable. Raised to new life so that the birds can come and rest in him. So that we can find peace in him, but not just for ourselves, for the world around us. So as a church family here in Medford, when, when you guys start talking now about what church is going to look like and, and, and new initiatives, camp on this. That, that we have faith in a God who has authority over all things. Though the storms may come in our lives, he has authority over all of it, and he will be glorified. And we're defined by our love, because he first loved us, we love others. Finally, that we have hope in a resurrected Savior, and we have hope in our own resurrection to come someday. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are God. There's nothing we can do to earn your love. Even now as Christ followers, you give it to us. We don't need to be perfect. We don't need to be great. You love us. Help us remember that. Help us live in the freedom of that. We sing about freedom all the time. Help us grasp that by the power of your Spirit, that we have been made free. We no longer need to fear religion, moralism, law, or man. That we have your love and your faithfulness to us. God, empower us by your Spirit to be faithful to remember that you have authority. If there's some storm in your life right now, give it to God. Ask him for help. Don't demand it. Ask for his help. Ask that he would be glorified in it and you would see his glory. Because we know that he has our best interest in mind for now and eternity. God, help us love like your son Jesus. Help us love sacrificially. Because we're going to come across people who don't look like us, talk like us, smell like us, act like us. And we're called to love them. 
but that's not human. That's divine. Help us by your spirit to love like that and help us understand your love for us that while we were dead in the tombs, you came for us and rescued us. And God, that you didn't just rescue us, you want to rescue the world and that we can carry that hope to the world around us. Empower FAC to be that kind of church, to love the world around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, would you please stand? We're going to sing one more song. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says that if we only had hope in this life, we should be the most pitied. We should be the most pitied if there isn't a resurrected Lord, if we, didn't, if we only had this life. But we have a life to come with Jesus in new bodies in a new earth. Amen? I can't wait for that day. But until then, we work towards that, bringing people into that with us. We gather here today as a family in God to remind ourselves of that resurrection. And in the same way that the, the disciples found the tomb empty 2,000 years ago, we find it empty today. We serve a resurrected Lord. And the same power that resurrected him from the dead and justified him and vindicated him and calls us to union with him, that same power is alive in all those who call him Lord. So may you go and live in that and live in that hope and joy and love and faith. I pray it over you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed, church.